Yeah, I think I'm ready. How you guys doing? Forest Hall. I'm here with no one. It's Real Church Matters, but we talk Real Church Matters because Real Church Matters. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening. Always. Uh, episode 115. Episode 115. Uh, just housekeeping. You can always listen to us on podcast, Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can Google us. Just type in Real Church Matters. You'll see that we're on social media as well. Uh, I do a little thing on social media where it's... Uh, I do two-a-days. We're at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. So basically for your drive into work, and for your drive home from work, you have something to think about. Uh, so I do that every day. Um, yeah, every day. And I just try to, something that's on my mind. At this point, I have a backlog of it. So you might be reading something that was on my mind uh, a month ago. But at some point it was on my mind And uh, yeah So we're on social media You can tell people about that You can tell people about the podcast you listen to I see people sharing it On social media I appreciate that I might not respond uh, Because I like for y'all to just do what you do But I appreciate that I appreciate those who give Via Patreon Uh, It's it's such a blessing Um, Literally you guys this podcast is powered by obedience and love so it's through our obedience and our love together that we keep this thing going no matter if i got things you know going on in my life or not I, i try to be powered by obedience and love to make sure i do this podcast when you guys give and support it allows this podcast to keep going as well i appreciate it i'm thankful grateful um, all that what else oh if you would like to join them patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash real church matters to take advantage of that uh this time two years ago we had a little faith a lot of doubt i love the podcast whenever i was talking about faith um you know, because it's it's the bedrock, it's the foundation of what we are, who we are, and why we are. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good one. Um, that was two years ago, episode 23. Episode 23, A Little Faith, A Lot of Doubt. Then we have one year ago, we have A Crisis of Integrity. I've listened to that one probably way too many times. It's a perfect perfect podcast uh that's something else that's always relevant is the fact that we're in a crisis of integrity uh as always it's obedience over audience continue to follow that mantra in your life continue to follow and seek and pursue and stand on obeying god obeying god above everybody above everything It's a lonely place at times, but it's a place that you will find the greatest you. So that being said, I was sitting down in the studio and uh, recording some content that I'll be releasing very shortly 
for those people who uh, support through Patreon. I'm just doing some things, some short bits of content that I think would be helpful. And I want to reward them for for um, for supporting. So I'm, I'm doing it in a different style. So it'll kind of be like, you know, magazine type things. Five things you need as a Christian. Uh, five things you need from the Bible for work. That type of stuff. I thought that was cool. So I'm kind of connecting, you know, a lot of life stuff in that way. But as I was sitting here, I wasn't going to do a podcast this week. Uh, I just didn't have anything that inspired me. And I kind of moved from conviction and inspiration. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, those are in one of the contents about the five things I rely on as a Christian. One of them is uh, conviction. The other is inspiration. But um, I, I was going back and reading Psalms 23. Psalms 23 is a special passage for me. I read it religiously all the time. And I realized that I had in my notes that I would do a podcast about Psalms 23. And I really didn't, though I have spoke about it in bits and pieces within podcasts because it's so near and dear to me. And I feel like it's the roadmap. It's the precursor to to our engagement with prayer that we read in the Lord's Prayer. Um, but yeah, so I figured, what's the perfect time? Shout out to all of my co-host, uh, Charity, uh, Philip, Mom, Dad, Sylvia, Scott, um, <laughs> uh, Erica, Earl Jr., and uh, Felicia, and Antoinette, there's so many more people that are uh, are going to come. I'm, I'm taking my time. It's no need to rush. I don't plan on uh, stopping anytime soon, so there's no need in rushing. But to this week, it this was spurred a moment, and uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's just talk. Let's talk for a second. So Psalms 23, uh, the, the you can read along with it. I'm gonna try to do it in a way where you can almost listen to this as a companion to you reading it. So, uh, you know, verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I love the way this starts off. And there's another translation that says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. And I love that because it lets us know immediately that what connects me to everything else that I need is this one thing. Him. What connects me to all that I lack is him. So instead of seeking and connecting myself to what I lack, I connect myself to what I have, which is him. This is what I love about it. It's like I, 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 he, he shares what he possesses and says by what he possesses, he does not lack anything. He says, my shepherd, my. So because we have a shepherd, he is ours. I have no want. I have no want. This is a level of trust here too. You guys got to bear with me because I'm saying a lot of thoughts that have come over the past two years of reading this passage. But I have no wants. Those wants have turned and condensed and, uh, consolidated into one want, which is my shepherd. I just want him. 
Every morning when I wake up, I am reminded of the things that I want. And then I remind myself that I have a shepherd. You know how sometimes when people are frustrated and they're going through and they're hating their situation, sometimes what they'll do is they'll remind themselves that other people have it worse than them. I think that that's a it's just an archaic way of finding peace and solace in yourself, because what you're doing is finding peace and solace in others misery. I I don't want to do that. And I think I don't think you should subscribe to that either. I think what we need to subscribe to is finding peace and solace, not in knowing other people are struggling worse, but in knowing that we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd. We have a shepherd. When I look at people's situations and I want so much for them. See, I started with my wants. Now I'm going to my wants for other people. I can look at other people and see and want so much for their lives. But even then I have to remember I have a shepherd. And so much I want for them. They can have if they get a shepherd. So it starts to change my engagement with them. Instead of me trying to figure out a way to help them financially, my engagement with them is truly to help them introduce them to the one who will give them all they need. He will provide. See, it changes what we want too, because once I want a shepherd, that is relinquishing some things some pressure, some responsibilities in my life. That is saying that I am under his control. We shifted from the focus of being my, if you're taking notes or something. My was that first focus. I What I possess no longer allows my lack to possess me. What I possess no longer allows my lack to possess me. So it takes me to a place where now that I have a shepherd, I have to understand what a shepherd is. A shepherd is one who is number one in control of me, in charge of me, has the responsibility of taking care of me. So not only is he in control of me, he can tell me what to do. Number two is he can take care of me and he is charged to take care of me. He has control, but he also has a charge. Is a charge. He can't just say, I'm the ruler of the, sh- of the sheep. And then you look at the sheep and they're haggard and they're tired and they're sickly and they're hungry. That shows you that though he has rulership, he has not mastered ownership. And that's not God. He's a shepherd who understands rulership and ownership. So I shall not want because I allow him to give and dictate what I get. And I receive what he gives as my sustenance, as my everything, as my more than enough. Oh, man. Y'all got to forgive me. This is how I talk to myself in my head. This is how I remind myself of who God is, is with simple scriptures. These six verses in Psalms 23 have really shaped and changed the way that I engage with life. Trust me, I'm still the same person. But I am this, the same person with a, an ability to receive the word that helps me keep that person in check. The person that just wants to be angry and frustrated. Now it's just a person that's at peace. 
because my anger and my frustration and my pain came out of what I wanted. So I realized that my whole disposition changed when I just subscribed to one truth. I shall not want. When I subscribe to that truth and then understand the motivation behind saying such a thing is not that I have everything, but that I have one thing. I have a shepherd. I have a shepherd. I, I don't, it didn't say the Lord is my wingman, so I shall not want. It didn't say the Lord is my financial planner, so I shall not want. It just says the Lord is my shepherd because he is not availing himself to my services. He is not commissioned or signed on a work for hire contract. He is in control. A lot of times we look at God as a form of possession, but he is not my possession in that way. I have someone who has me. I have someone who has me. So just, just to show you how this stuff ties in so beautifully, the reason I moved to understanding he has rulership and ownership of me is because verse two takes it and says, he maketh me. So first our point was my, then my shepherd, and now my shepherd makes. My shepherd makes me. He makes me. Doesn't make me do a lot of things. God is the type of person where, the type of being, I should say. He is the type of being that doesn't make us do a lot because he has gifted us with free will. He's gifted us with free will. But I love how he says he maketh me. He maketh me, not maketh me in a forceful way because I've already yielded to his will. See, we're talking about somebody who's already said, my shepherd. Once you subscribe to him being your shepherd, a lot of you, you, you say you have faith in God, but you don't know that that faith should reveal that he is your shepherd. And so a lot of people believe in God They believe he exists, just like you believe a shepherd exists, but you're not under the shepherd's ownership and rulership. You have to be. In order for you to truly say that you believe in God, it has to be shown in you allowing him to have authority in your life. So this this is somebody who's already relinquished their free will. They've freely given their will over to God. In a specific way, they said, I want you to be my shepherd. I don't want you to be my ATM. I don't want you to be my matchmaker. I don't want you to be my healer. I don't want you to just be a specific thing. I want you to be everything. So he says, uh, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. So even though we're in a position where we've relinquished our will, see, he has to make us go to the places that are best for us because we still, even though we have a shepherd, we have to come to a reality. And this is our next point. We don't know what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us. I don't know what's best for force. I don't know green pastures if green pastures bit me in the butt. I wouldn't know. A lot of times we look at 
let's say green pastures are opportunities. A lot of times we don't even see opportunities until we see other people in those opportunities. And then we say, ooh, that's an opportunity. I want to be over there. It's rarely that people do things that other people aren't doing. It's, it's rare. You'll see a whole line outside of a restaurant. You're like, I got to get in there. That's not green pastures. By the time you actually get to partake, the restaurant ain't even popping no more. By the time you make it on the waiting list and secure a reservation, the cook not even there no more. He had already relinquished it over to his sous chefs and the, the food, though it still has his name and signature. It's not cooked directly by him. It's just a, a whole lot that goes into being on the tail end of an opportunity. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about God directing us to what is green pastures for us. Got to remember what green pastures means. It means this is this is fresh. That it's never been grazed on before. That it's perfect just for you. It will sustain you. He has to make us to go there because our natural inclinations, our natural proclivities, our natural leadings and guidings will always take us to what is popular, what has already been explored, what has already been traveled. That's why Satan, his schemes and his wiles, they, they work so well because they're tried and true because the paths did he can lay his traps on are well-worn. They're well-worn. You know, before they even lay traps for animals, they always, they, they, these people study how they migrate and how they move. And so I was watching this guy and he was laying traps and he said, you know, they love to walk across this type of area and they love the, that there's no sun that shows up here. And so I know that they'll come here. That's how Satan is. He knows that we don't know. We don't have a good sense of direction when it comes to what God really wants for us. We have a good sense of direction to destruction. We got a nose for it. That's why young people, we, you want to, Oh, I want, I want, them to explore and understand and come to an understand. The only understanding they're going to come to is really what they already say, which is I want to know myself. They're going to come to an understanding of who they are, but that understanding leads to destruction. The understanding that we should be endeavoring for young people, especially those who are traversing from being children to adults is there. They should be on a path to know God. And understand God. Knowing myself has only taken me to places that only myself and others have been. And people have gone these paths way before me. And I haven't seen anybody do it differently. So I wouldn't be dumb enough to think that I can do it differently. I used to be. I used to be prideful enough to say, hey, you know, I, I know that's how it turned out for her, her and him. But when I do it, it's going to be different. You watch. No, it won't. As long as I'm still moving the same way they were moving without a shepherd, I'll still end up in the same place they were without green pastures. So I have to let God make me. 
I have to let him guide me. Even though I'm in God, I have to always remind myself to yield myself, to relinquish myself. And first step of that is realizing I don't know nothing. Even being in God, I'm not reading his word to know the way because he's not interested in me knowing the way or the reason for the way he has me on. He's just interested in me knowing him. The more I know about him, the more I'm comfortable with allowing him to be shepherd. So when he makes me, I let him. That's the next point. When he makes you, let him. When he guides you, let him. I wrote a song. It's just so, so simple. It just says spirit wants to move. The spirit is so, uh, so powerful, so dynamic. And it wants to move, but it doesn't want to move in and of itself. It wants to move in us because it wants to have what's in heaven happen on earth. But it needs a vessel to do it. The spirit can move all around this place, but it can't do what we can do. So it moves in us so it might achieve the will of God on earth. Spirit wants to move, but it needs something to move in. Spirit wants to help that sister over there, but he needs a vessel. Spirit wants to bless these people over here. Spirit wants to spread the word through a podcast. It needs a vessel. Spirit wants to preach a gospel that's actually true and not used to, to subvert and divide and cause dysfunction or, or exploit people and take advantage of their money and their talents. Spirit wants to do something greater than that. But it needs somebody who will let it do it. So I have to let it make me. I have to yield. Yield is another song I say that's just the move of God. I, I said that we have to yield to the move of God. I like writing songs about that. Type. I, I hate writing songs where I, I'm saying who I am to God because that that's up for debate. You know, I can sit here all day and sing, I love you, Lord, but that's up for debate, especially when I'm singing, I love you, Lord. And there's a few people that know that my life doesn't line up with those words. I love you, Lord. I'd rather talk and sing about who God is since I know who he is is true because he's not like man. And I'm sure boasting about him glorifies him more than boasting about how I feel about him. But, you know. For another time, I guess. The, the reality is, is that I have to let him make me lie down in green pastures. And then it says, not only do I let him make me, but I let him lead me. So those are two different things. Because make me saying, I'm allowing him to move in my life. And lead me says, I'm allowing him to guide my life. I need to let God Move in my life. I need every step that I take with these feet to be ordered steps by God. I need every choice of words that I speak to be inspired and led by God. I need to be directed in that way. And then I, whatever I, choices I make, I need to be led by him. And where is he trying to lead me? He's always trying to lead me to still waters. So there's two points there. The, the, the first of those two is I have to not only let him 
make me, but I have to let him lead me. And I said, one is God moving in me and one is God moving me to something, guiding me, taking me. The traversing that I will do in life, the trajectory of my life, the life that I build is on the foundation of his control. His control. So he says, the second point is, I let him lead me to still waters, still waters. The reason being is because most of the dysfunction, most of the drama, most of the chaos, most of the things that are going on in our life can be synonymous with a raging sea. It could be synonymous with an uncontrollable sea. So even though I'm in the boat and I can be trying to steer and I can know where I'm trying to go, it's impossible for me to get there in a raging sea. Matter of fact, it's impossible for me to meet my destination and it's impossible for me to actually survive when I'm in the midst of a raging sea. God needs you in still waters. Still waters can be consumed, can be nourishment to us. Still waters can lead us in, in an environment that allows us to traverse and move in an easier way. We still got to do the work. We still got to paddle. We still got to row. We still got to push. But it's easier to do than when the sea is pushing against us. I, I need you to catch this. I need you to catch this. When your environments are working against you, some of y'all, you, you don't realize this. You play in church. So you play in church because you haven't really let him be your shepherd. So you, every environment, everything around you is so difficult. It's so arduous. It's so consuming that you're exerting so much effort to really go nowhere because the sea is raging and working against you. Don't have to be that way. Don't have to be that way. The wind that wants to guide you can't even guide you because the sea is working against you. Do you understand that? Even when you hear, you, you think you hear God, it doesn't matter because when you're moving in it, you're still going nowhere because you haven't let him put you in an environment for which you can actually do even what you think he told you to do. This is the reality of, of how powerful this is. My shepherd it is because he's my shepherd and I receive his rulership and ownership. I have a, no need for anything. I have a, a need for anything because he knows what I need. And so he makes me, he puts me, he takes me to where, where and what is best for me. And then he leads me to places for which it is freeing for me to do what he says. The still waters help me. They don't work against me. Your household working against you. Your job working against you. You can't make it to church because your job. Those waves are working against you. You can't find time to study because of your job. Those waves are working against you. I'm going to tell you, y'all keep saying this stuff is a blessing, 
But I'm telling you, if the blessing of things take you from the blessing of God, it ain't a blessing. Come on now. If the pastures led you to wolves and not to stay and remain with the shepherd, how is it good pasture? How is it great pasture? How is it green pasture? It's not. It's not. It's not. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. He restores my soul. I want to say something here because in both of, of those these these passages, the, the verses two, three, and four, you see a colon. So in the colon, he, he's taking and expounding on a truth that still means the same thing as the thing that preceded the colon. So even when he says he makes me to lie down in green pastures, he goes on to say he leadeth me beside still waters. He's saying the same theme there but just in different contexts. But he wants you to know it's the same thing. The theme is he leads and guides me. In the verse, three, verse three, he says, he restoreth my soul. How does he restore my soul? I need more exposition. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How does God restore my soul? This is why I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd because I can restore a lot of things in my life by myself. I can restore a lot of things in my life with people. But I can restore nothing regarding my soul with anybody but God. And you'll go, you'll, you'll, you'll restore your, your credit rating. You'll restore your car. You'll restore your uh Work, work situation, your, your, you'll restore your relationships as, as you understand it to be desired to be restored. You'll do all of this. And because you haven't restored your soul, you miss the true mission and purpose of God. And you miss the true destiny of living this life in the first place. That's what he means when he says, what, what does it profit of man? To gain the whole world and to lose his soul. I want my soul to be restored. We'll figure out the credit rating later. You know, with the 600, 500, 400, 300, whatever it is. We'll figure that out later. The mission of the believer should always be to restore my soul. To restore my soul. And how does that get done? Because I, once again, he's not just leading me to places, that environments that allow me to obey him easier, but he's also leading me on the path of righteousness for his pleasure. I got to remember that he's leading me on a path for his pleasure because the only thing that pleases God is righteousness. He's leading me on a path for his pleasure. Most of you are asking God to lead you and guide you to what you want, to your pleasure. He's letting us know this path is righteousness. The destination or purpose of the path is his sake, his pleasure, his interest, his will, his desire. Once again, let me just make this caveat because we get into a point now where there's going to be some frustrated folks and you are frustrated because ultimately you want some of the benefits of God without the actual job duties 
of what serving God is. Being a Christian involves living in a certain way, not saying no to drugs and saying no to fornication, but it's something greater than that. When you condense your righteousness to literally a matter of do's and don'ts to you, you condense your relationship to uh, with God to just not sinning. You've missed the whole mission because the path of righteousness is everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We talked about that before. We said righteousness is everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God because he is inherently truth. Everything he speaks is right. So if you do the right that comes out of his mouth, you are now righteous. When you do things that you know wouldn't come out of his mouth or wouldn't be seen from his son, you are not righteous. This is the standard I hold myself to. This is the standard I'm starting to understand I have to hold other people to because they give themselves liberties and leeway that they don't deserve. They give themselves liberties and freedoms that can be seen by shepherds, not by sheep. We're sheep. Come on, guys, we're sheep. We don't have that luxury. So because he restores my soul, because he actually restores it by guiding me with his voice. And as I follow the breadcrumbs of his voice through obedience, I am restored because of that. I can now go to a place where it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Though at one point, you got to understand this valley of the shadow of death is what he's talking about is mortality. Though I'm walking through my humanity, where the shadow of death is always looming over me. Though I'm walking through humanity where the shadow of death is seen in every news outlet, is seen in every blog post, is seen in every uh, Twitter feed, in every Instagram feed, in every caption. From young men getting killed by police, by from young men getting killed by each other, from young girls getting uh, taken advantage of by rich white men, all of this stuff. You know, I'm I'm using, you know, I'm using color and and gender and to to kind of generalize what's in the news, but you get the drift. I'm not making it a white and black thing, but. In the world it is, and it's part of this valley of the shadow of death. It, it, it sucks the life out of you. It numbs you. It deadens you before you even die. It's depressing. It's hopeless. I'm, because I have a restored soul, I can walk in the, the, the valley where this shadow of death looms. And I fear no evil. I fear no evil. Fear is gone. Fear was a big thing for me because I was very aware of the valley. And I never saw the sun shine because I focused on the shadow. I never looked to the hills. I was looking behind me to see the shadow. See the things that were to come looming. Things that were 
all over the world, things that were pervasive in my family's life, things that were pervasive in my engagements with school kids. And as I continued to grow in my work environments, it, it all looms over you and it makes it hard for you when you, you don't restore your soul. You're trying to find peace in the midst of the valley without finding your soul's restoration through obedience to God's word. Now I fear no evil. Now I fear no evil. I fear no evil. This freed me along with verse one. This freed me from a lot of my anxiety and depression. This freed me from a lot of the words people say. A lot of the things that people say, they're part of humanity. They're part of this valley. These are things you see in the valley. It's like when you go to the desert, you're going to see some scorpions. You're going to see some snakes. You're not going to see a lot of water. You're not going to see a lot. You're going to see a lot of harsh environments. You're not going to see a lot of things conducive to life. You're not going to see a lot of things teeming with life. You're just not going to see it. That's how it is in this valley of the shadow of death. You're not going to see a lot that looks promising, that looks hopeful, that looks teeming with life. Even in the church, because it's a church that even though it's supposed to be based and built physically in the valley, it's supposed to be a reflection of the restoration that comes from being with the good shepherd. But ultimately, a lot of times, most churches just reflect the valley that they're in. Most churches reflect the valley of our humanity. Most churches reflect the valley of our own fleshly and earthly and lustful desires and emotions. That's just the way it is. But even in that, I find solace now because no man can harm me. Because no man can revoke what God has restored. No man can take away what God has redeemed. Men can talk and take away, try to sully your reputation. Men can talk and try to demean you and demonetize you and emasculate you. They can do a lot of things. But one thing no one can ever do is take away what God has restored in my life. And that's why I fear no evil. Why am I going to fear what somebody can take when it's going to be taken anyway? Why am I going to fear somebody taking my life when my life is not unlimited anyway? So they took my life. So my life ended more sooner than I thought it would, but not sooner than God thought. So what? I fear no evil. I fear no evil in the tears of situations. I fear no evil. In the doubt of situations, I remind myself, I fear no evil. No, in the, the things that men say, I, I have to remind myself, I fear no evil. How can you, your words attach to a soul that's been restored? I put the responsibility and the ownership and the onus on me. And I fear no evil for thou art with me. See, a, a restored soul gives me this, this comfort and it gives me this, this benefit of knowing that God is with me. He's with me. See, that's where I was talking about. A lot of verse two and three was rulership. But verse four, it talks about ownership. 
See, because ownership is puts a lot of responsibility on the owner. I know we everybody wants to be a business owner, and and I know they they think that entrepreneurship is so awesome, and you make your own hours. But the the self employed person, the entrepreneur, the freelancer, he has a he has a a responsibility. He or she has a responsibility. The ownership comes with a responsibility. Comes with a charge. Comes with a mandate. It comes with a a a a sense of duty. And because he owns me and he 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 embraces that ownership, he commits himself to never be too far from me. He'll be with me. He commits himself to not just possess the, the tools to do the job, but to do it. So he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, to the rebellious, the rod and the staff don't look cool. But to the obedient, the rod and staff are vital tools that allow us the peace of mind of knowing that we are right where we should be. That's the difference. You know, most of us have come from such archaic mentalities that when you think of rod and staff, you think of getting beatings. But God is not in the interest of corporal punishment. He's in the interest of chastisement. He's in the interest of correction. That means he is not just, he is not punishing us. He is correcting us. See, correcting is different because Correcting is saying something's off course. Let me get it back on course. You can't beat something back on course. You have to correct its trajectory. You have to correct its focus. You have to correct its positioning. You have to correct its compass. See, God came and he restored my soul and he changed my due north. My compass was attuned to a whole nother north and he came and he fixed it. He corrected it. I'm not concerned about getting beaten for doing wrong. I'm more concerned about that rod and that staff comforting me, giving me the comfort of knowing I'm in the place I should be. So even when I look around and it looks like the valley, I'm in the place I should be because I allow his rod and his staff to correct me, they course correct me, they reroute me, they guide me, they position me. What do they position me for? They're positioning me for my journey. And so verse five, he takes us to a glimpse of the end of the journey. He says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. God prepares a table for us. He has something in mind. And all of this is to get us to that place. He said, he's going to do this in the presence of all your enemies. He's going to do this in the presence of everybody that scoffed at you and doubted you. They're not your haters. And you shouldn't be glorifying that. But in the midst of them, God is going to show them who he is through you. He anointed 
our heads with oil. That means he has made us sanctified. That What does that mean? That means set apart for a use. See, God's not doing all of this just so you can have green pastures and you can have still waters and could, so you can listen to what he said. He's doing it so that he can use you. Use you for a special purpose. A purpose that only he gets the benefit of. That's why our cup runneth over. The abundance comes because of the anointing. The anointing is God being able to set us apart and use us. I feel so great in my life right now because I know I'm being used. I haven't been anointed by any man. I haven't been chosen by any man. God has put me in such an awesome position. That's why I I look at it as his rod and staff. He put me in such an awesome position that even when I found myself getting full of myself, he has used people, places, and things to keep me course corrected so that I can be able to sit at the table he prepared for me and be able to anoint me and select me and set me apart for his purpose. And now he can pour into me abundantly, knowing that with that abundance, I will use it for his glory. Man, it's a place that we all have to be in. That's verse five is the goal. Verse five is the prayer. Verse five is the purpose. Verse five is the seeking. It's what I want. I want to sit at his table. I want to be anointed by his hands with his oil. And I want my cup to run over with his blessings for his use. I hear even talking about blessings because y'all, y'all just pasteurize God's spiritual blessings to be these very surface things. My cup ain't running over with money. If your cup running over with money, then you need to empty your cup out. Your cup should be running over with giftings. Where's your gifts at? Gifts that can't be bought. Tons of people with money in the Bible trying to buy gifts. They try and buy what's in your cup because they don't like what's in theirs. They trying to empty their cup out to get your cup. I laugh at that now. It used to frustrate me. Now, hey, if y'all if y'all want to fixate and, and and vacillate and postulate and all of that stuff within the confines of money and things, oh, God gave me a car so that I could do this or that. Oh, God gave me a job so I can do this or that. Uh, at the end of the day, God did not give you that job so you can do his will on that job. That's not, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. Oh, God gave me this job because he want me to show his love to my coworkers. No, that's not it. You should be doing that because it's your reasonable service. God did not go through all of this. He did not anoint you. He is not going to anoint you for your workplace. He's going to be anointing you for his workplace, which is your body. Man. That was good. Lastly, (laughs) 
goodness, surely, surely. I love, we can't forget surely. We can't forget any adverb. You know, any adverb is just awesome because it, it creates degree. And so he says, not just goodness and mercy shall follow me, but he says, surely, assuredly, undoubtedly, without question, with no doubt and reservation, with every guarantee that you can muster, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I realized something about my life. I realized that I was so busy chasing what I thought was God that I didn't know that I can figure out if I was truly with him based on what was behind me. And I'm going to tell you something. Being a minister since I was 23, trying to actively serve the Lord and pursue him since I was 19, being 38 now. So even coming up on the... I guess you would say 20 year, yeah, 20 year anniversary of me giving my life to Christ. It's like, man, I spent so much of that time not realizing what I was leaving behind. Not realizing what was following me. Not realizing the shadow of depression and doubt and anxiety and bitterness. It always was just seconds away from me. Because I never really let the shepherd lead me. I never let him lead me. And when you let God lead you as the shepherd, the shepherd always has help. They kind of flank behind. They kind of lag behind. So if there's any wayward sheep, they kind of, Keep them pushed forward. Sometimes it's humans. Sometimes they had dogs. It's, it's like border collies. And these dogs would do the job and they would correct the perimeter and keep everything herded in the right place. And goodness and mercy follow me for that reason. All the days of my life. While God is course correcting me, guiding me, anointing me, sitting me at his table. Allowing my cup to run over. It's his awesome mercy that allows me to even be still able to keep up. Able to correct the times where I, out of my own stupidity and just the, the innate desire of my humanity, I stray. And his mercy follows me. Pushes me back. His goodness. Oh, I'm, I, I just don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve such love. I don't deserve such care. I've done nothing but curse God. I've done nothing but doubt him. I've done nothing but give him a hard time. And yet here's goodness and mercy pushing me and driving me and reminding me to stay close to the shepherd. Situations I see, I don't know how I made it out of. I'm like, I, I walked into this situation with disobedience and somehow I made it out without feeling the wrath of my disobedience. Man, 
His goodness and his mercy draw my eyes back to him, the shepherd. They follow me all the days of my life and I need them. I need them. I can't, goodness and mercy can't take a day off. They can't take a sick day. This infallible person that I am, this person full of doubt and cynicism about everything, including faith. I don't know how I made it to this point with all the doubt that I've had, with all the the cynicism I've had, with all the lack of respect I've had for people in general, especially people of the faith, with all the disdain and distaste and distrust I've had for the church. With all of that, I'm here right now teaching and and sharing and passion, the passion that I never thought I would have for this stuff. Only because goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. There's tons of people who can come and testify that I've made bad decisions. That I've done things to them that haven't been great. That I've made choices with my mouth and with other parts of my body that I should not have made. They can attest to it. I think it's pretty cool that they get to see the change in my life. I think all of them, any of them can come on and say, hey, man. Yeah, I got stories. But I'm going to tell you one thing. This guy's different. And that's not a testament to force. Count it to the employees of the month. Goodness and mercy. They follow me all the days of my life. And it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so let's not lose sight of the fact that verse five starts off with a table. And verse six ends with a house. He prepares a table and he brought all these people to see because he wants them to be invited to the table as well. They're your enemies now, but they'll be your brothers and sisters later if you let God use you. And it's his house. And that's where I dwell. I dwell in his house now, and I'll dwell in his house forever. Forever and ever. This prayer is so profound to me. It's, it's such a, a, a matter of hope to me. I can read through this. Every time I read through it, I find something else. I haven't exhausted all the things I've learned from it. I'm just sharing with you. I, I just said I'm going to share whatever comes of what I remember and whatever new comes. I, I actually share some things I never heard before that I'm, I'm going to connect with and, and remind myself about because I, I, I understand the power of the scripture. I realize we're living in a day and a time with church folk that I, there's there's a lot of doubt in the power of scripture. So people minimize the amount of scripture they read and then they minimize the amount of scripture they speak. And they don't realize that when you lose this, when you have this 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 uh this lack, this apathy towards towards it. And Satan is subtle. So we start off saying talk is cheap. Not realizing the whole way that we connect and communicate and teach the gospel is through words. So the minute you feel like it's a waste of time to open your mouth is the minute Satan has you where he wants you. 
It's the minute that you now have given place to the enemy because you've shut up. I'm not going to shut up, guys. I can't shut up. I commit to you guys, those who are listening. It's We're at minute 55 and 47 seconds. If you're still listening, please, through all the emotional changes you're going through, through all the, the tough times you're going through, do not shut your mouth. Do not shut up. Do not silence yourself. Open your mouth and share God's word. Share it with yourself. Share it with others. Not recite scripture. But share what those scriptures mean to you. Put those scriptures in your own words. Put yourself in the lives of those people that are in the scriptures. No longer look at it as a Bible story. Replace Samson with you. Replace Delilah with your baby mother. Do that. Replace Jesus with you. Do that. Allow this stuff to become not a matter of fact to you, but a matter of life. Episode 115. Psalms 23. Real Church Matters. God bless. Thank you.